I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Pat Mahomes threw more touchdowns against the Jets than Darnold and Joe Flacco combined for the entire season. The New York Jets have tossed four touchdown passes all season, and Mahomes put up five with ease in one game for the Chiefs. And four touchdowns through eight weeks is abysmal, especially in 2020 when when most offenses convert on at least four touchdown passes accidentally in a season. And we'll blame the coach, but that makes it seem like we're excusing the quarterback. And when we blame the quarterback, it makes it seem like we're excusing the coach. The bottom line is they are both bad. I don't care how bad the talent is. A good coach can drum up at least some semblance of an offense. I'm not even saying wins because I don't think a good coach would have this Jets team in a much better position than they are right now. Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, Andy Reid. It's it's not like they would have the Jets at 4-4. and But if Andy Reid is the Jets head coach, the offense at least has the ability to score. It has the ability to avoid ineptitude. And similarly, a capable quarterback might not have the Jets at 4-4, and but even just a decent quarterback can have more than four touchdown passes. Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford, Teddy Bridgewater, they're not elite. Certainly not at this point in their careers for, for Matt Ryan. They can't carry a bad team. But even with the Jets' putrid talent and head coach, they'd find a way to throw more than half a touchdown pass per game. I get that it's more than the quarterback and the head coach. We know that. We understand that. But those two are going to get the most attention because they're organizational anchors that you can't afford to screw up. And the Jets screwed up both of them. The playmakers have done Sam Darnold no favors. Chris Herndon is is so bad, in case you needed a reminder. Another fumble. And I almost feel bad for him because at this point, we all know that he might be literally the worst player in the NFL. We all know that he doesn't deserve to be on the field. And he probably knows it too at this point. But for whatever reason, Adam Gase doesn't know it. And I don't understand why. Herndon is, it's not like he's a Joe Douglas draft pick. It's not like he's forced, it's not like Adam Gase is forced to use him because he's a Joe Douglas draft pick. He's a Mikey Mack leftover. He he kills the Jets whenever he's used, and yet he still gets used. And I feel bad for him because he's incapable of hanging on to the ball. It's almost like it's a mental block, like, like he has the yips like a catcher in baseball that can't throw back to the pitcher, like Rick Ankeel, who was incapable of throwing to the catcher, or Chuck Knobloch, if you remember, when he was with the Yankees, they had to move him off second base because he couldn't throw the ball to first. He was throwing it into the crowd. Or a golfer who can't hit the ball straight anymore. Chris Herndon has that type of mental block when it comes to catching and holding on to the football, and he's continuously asked to do it, 
in the spotlight on the biggest stage with millions of people watching it, and it's sad. The offensive line certainly hasn't done Darnold any favors. He was getting hit constantly in this game against the Chiefs. The defense hasn't done Darnold any favors, allowing Mahomes to have arguably the best game of his career. And if not for Andy Reid politely removing him from this game with 10 minutes to go, the statistics might have reflected Mahomes as having his best game ever. He he was dominating the, them that, that badly. And Greg Williams can't even blame the time of possession because it was actually pretty split. The The Jets held the ball for almost half this game, and I, I think it was, it was about 28 minutes. And part of that is because the Chiefs were able to score so easily, handing the ball back right back to the Jets. But still, the, the Jets had 13 first downs. It wasn't like they, they were just continuous three and outs in the game. So the time of possession certainly uh, was in the defense's favor as compared to other games. The special teams has not done Darnold any favors, has not done the Jets any favors, gave up a blocked field goal, and it gave up a fake punt. And how about that fake punt by the the Chiefs in the, in the first half that the Jets gave up? Because if you were watching with the sound on, Jets get what they thought was a third down stop. They were down 7-3 at the time. And if, if, if you had the sound on, you heard former Chiefs quarterback Trent Green on the call with Kevin Harlan. And as soon as the Chiefs were lined up and ready to snap, Green confidently says that it was about to be a fake. And boom, it was. It was converted. And then the very next play, the Chiefs score on a, a touchdown. Cue the Andy Reid's playing chess while Adam Gase is playing checkers analogies. And would you have been surprised at that point of the game when the Jets gave up that fake punt? Would you have been surprised if Adam Gase was just sitting on the bench going over play calling with Dowell Loggins or, or maybe even just sitting there by himself on either of those plays, the, the fake punt or the Chiefs scoring a touchdown on the ensuing play? I wouldn't be shocked. Because it's happened before that Gase shows that he does not care about the rest of the game. He He's only involved in one facet of the team, one facet of the game. And that facet happens to be the worst offense in the National Football League. Jets came into this game as 19.5-point underdogs. And I think it was 21 points earlier in the week. It should have been at least 20, but you, you get a line that is that big and people who maybe haven't seen the Jets play much this season just jump on the underdog figuring, you know, three touchdowns is an insane spread. And even if the Chiefs get up by a lot early, they'll pull Pat Mahomes, which they did. They pulled him with almost an entire quarter to go. But 20 is just a number that you don't get that much of from Vegas. So sometimes you get people that jump on it and it lowers it. Um, But I wonder what the... Jets mindset going into this game was because we all knew that they had no chance to win and I think Adam Gase's mindset was to just try not to get embarrassed I don't think he was ever thinking that they could win and that's part of why they kicked the 55 yard field goal with Sergio Castillo to make it uh, 14-6 instead of pushing this team to go for it because kicking field goals against the Chiefs if you're the Jets kicking field goals is, is pretty much useless you need to essentially go for it on fourth down every time and try to get a touchdown. Going for it on fourth down is how you upset a team. Being that converts on the trickery plays like a fake punt, that's how you upset a team. But the Jets were on the losing end of those decisions and battles. And I think that's proof of Gase's mindset being not to win, but to just keep it as close as possible. And it, it reminded me of when I was younger 
playing basketball in high school, we got killed by a team. Lost by more than 60 points one game. And then a few weeks later, we're getting ready to play that same team. And while we're stretching before practice, I, I made the joke, let's let's aim to keep this one within 50 points. It was a, a completely reasonable comment. The team laughed, but the coach didn't like it. And he used it as an opportunity to kind of attempt a rah-rah speech about how he knows we can win, believes in this team, and, and we shouldn't be making jokes like that. We should believe in ourselves. And he made me run laps the rest of the practice. We ended up keeping the game within 50 points, but we lost by more than 40. Got totally blown out. So my, my point is, I can't imagine that everybody on the Jets were thinking they can win this game. So if I had to guess, what person on the team would most likely have made the joke of, let's keep this one within 30? And I probably, I would have said Le'Veon Bell earlier in the year because he seemed like he just didn't care anymore. But obviously he's on the Chiefs now and he looks completely done, by the way. But without Bell, I think it either, it would have been Gase himself or Joe Flacco is the two names that I came up with. Because Gase, he regularly quits on the team. He very much coaches with the mentality of when things don't go to plan, I'm going to pack up, I'm taking my ball, I'm pouting, and I'm, I'm going home. So I could see him making the comment of let's keep it within 30, but I don't think he would be joking. I think Gase would actually just have that mindset and let the team know that that is his mindset because he's he's that strange. The other person, Joe Flacco, because Flacco made his money in the league already. Flacco won his Super Bowl. He played on a real organization. He played on a winning organization. He has great hair now. I don't think he's worried about what happens in any of these games. I really don't think that losing right now, as he's a backup quarterback on the Jets, matters to Flacco at all. He already made his mark in this league, so I could see him making the same let's keep it within 30 comment, but unlike Gase, and more like me, Flacco would be doing it just looking for a laugh. 35-9 could have been a, a hell of a lot worse for the Jets. Let's take a quick break on the Brandon Contest Jets podcast back after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I think for the Jets to get the number one pick, I think they could get one win on the season. I'm, I'm not sold that the Jaguars are going to be better than 2-14, and 14, though, but I do think that they'll get one more. So I think if the Jets go 1-15, and 15, I don't expect them to be uh, tied for the top pick. And if the Jets get two wins, which feels like a long shot right now, but the NFL is incredibly unpredictable. We, we talked about this last week. I, I I think it was last week. How last season at 1-7, and seven, the Jets looked like they weren't winning another game on the year. They looked inept. They looked like Adam Gase might not make it through year one as head coach of the team. And then all of a sudden, Sam comes back. The team gets a little hot. They finish up 6-2, and two, and we're treating them like they should be a playoff team this year. So even at 0-8, 
even though the Jets don't look like a professional team right now, I would not be shocked if they somehow get clicking for a couple of weeks and look more competent and move the win column digit up a couple of ticks. The Patriots might be their their best chance at a win right now if you look at their schedule. Um, but we'll, we'll see as the as the season moves on. I certainly would not feel confident going into a game against New England. But I have I've never rooted against the Jets ever. I didn't root against them in Todd Bowles' third year here when we thought they were tanking, if you remember, and thought it was going to be his last season as head coach because the expectation going into that year was 1-15 with Josh McCown as the quarterback. The thought was that the Jets were trying to get the top pick to draft Sam Darnold. Remember that? Suck for Sam? Instead, they shocked us all. They started out the year 3-2. and two. They, were, they were playing the Patriots for first place. In October, and they actually kept it pretty close. They lost, and they finished the year 5-11, and 11, but Bowles saved his job. He had people tossing bouquets his way for getting the team to 3-2 and two, and was able to essentially just coast to the finish line after that start. Jets lose out on the top pick, but Mike McCagnan made a St. Patrick's Day deal in the offseason with the Indianapolis Colts, and I remember seeing it on Twitter that Saturday morning it was, uh, shortly before the St. Paddy's Day festivities began. Jets move up to number three in the draft. A month later, the Giants take Saquon. Jets get their guy without having a tank. It hasn't quite worked out, and here we are three years later, again, hoping for the top pick, which is just insanity because everybody, and I mean everyone except for Chris Sims, was so confident that Sam was the guy, and it hasn't worked. But my point is, I did not root against the Jets that year, and when they ended up drafting Darnold, I felt vindicated. I felt vindicated in the fact that you shouldn't have to tank, and you can still get your quarterback and build your team without bottoming out, and without aiming for 0-16 and 1-15. and so I never root against them. If I bet against the Jets, I still root for the team. If there were ever fantasy implications and I benefited from an opposing player, I still rooted for the Jets. If I picked against the Jets in a knockout pool, I still rooted for the Jets. I never, ever, ever found myself rooting against them. And now I don't know. It's it's not that my mindset has has changed to the point where I'm actively rooting against the Jets right now, because I'm not. But I find myself feeling relieved when I look at the scoreboard and realize they're not winning the game. Now, that wasn't really a fear at any point against the Chiefs, but when the Jets were up 10 nothing against the Bills the week before, I started wrestling in my head with the idea that maybe the Jets are better off losing this game, and I didn't know how to feel about it. I absolutely, though, I root for individual plays and performances. Like, I'm rooting for the Jets to win each individual play. I want to see Denzel Mims catch six passes for 100 yards. I want to see Quinton Williams in the backfield. I want to see Mekhi Becton keeping people out of the backfield. I want to see LaMichael P. Ryan rush for 100 yards. And sure, I even want to see Sam Darnold look good. There's there's no reason not to. Not that I think it really matters all that much at this point because we, we know what he is, but I still I root for him to have a good game. So in-game, I'm rooting for this team. But if it's close as the fourth quarter rolls around, I start looking at the scoreboard and getting nervous because I know deep down what's best for them. 
I know that they need the top pick to get Trevor Lawrence, and I, I do firmly believe that he is going to leave Clemson. Because I, I think college football, what, what happens to college football in 2021 is still an uncertainty. What happens to the NFL in 2021, we know what the NFL is going to be. The NFL is going to be a successful league. I think there could be ramifications from this season and from COVID that stem into 2021, and I'm not sure a guy like Trevor Lawrence is going to want to stick around for another year in college. But we'll focus more on that as the season progresses. This is also, this is a big week for the Jets, not just because the trade deadline is Tuesday. I mentioned this a little bit last week, but um, whether, whether it's Tuesday night or later this week, or maybe it even bleeds into next week and the ensuing weeks, we are about to learn who wins the, the election, who the next president of the United States is. And that has implications on the Jets, because if it is Joe Biden, then that means that the Jets are likely to have a new owner. New in terms of the last four years, at least, because if Trump is no longer in office come January 20th, 2021, then Woody Johnson is coming back. And he's going to be stepping into a team that might be 0-16. At best, they're probably 2-14. and He's coming back to an, embar- an embarrassing organization. He's coming back to a disaster. He's coming back to a team that fans are fed up with. He's coming back to a team that the fans would have spent the last year rooting against them. So what does that mean? What, is, what does Woody Johnson do in that scenario? And I don't know that everything stays status quo. Um, I think Woody Johnson is going to want to spark the team. And look, at, at a minimum, we know Adam Gase will be gone. Does Woody Johnson, though, just does, does he trust the general manager that he has never worked with, that he did not hire, and a general manager that just led the team to a one or two win season? Does Woody trust that person to make the next coaching hire? Or does Woody make the hire himself? And now you have a general manager who was hired by one owner and a coach hired by another owner on the same team. That sounds sloppy. That's that that sounds that doesn't sound cohesive. It doesn't sound like everybody's in lockstep. And I'm just going to throw this out there right now. November 1st, week 8 of the NFL, the, the halfway point of the 2020 season. I think Woody will want to make a splash. I think he's going to want to win the back page of the newspaper and I would not at all be surprised if he talks to Rex Ryan next offseason again assuming that he becomes the owner again because Rex now represents in era of success for the Jets that is it's almost unimaginable at this point like you forget how good they were under Rex Ryan and I know the league is going offense but the Jets just tried offense with Adam Gase and it didn't work I'm sure they'll they'll put feelers out for a guy like Jim Harbaugh if he's interested in leaving Michigan Eric Bieniemy gets mentioned a bunch but like why would he leave such a great spot with Kansas City to coach the Jets if he's going to go somewhere it's going to be where they have an established quarterback I could see Houston for Biennemi, but no way does he want to coach the Jets in the disaster that this franchise is right now. Rex Ryan, though, what teams are looking for Rex Ryan to be their head coach? He's not going to get a lot of offers, and he's not going to excite a lot of organizations or fan bases the way he might with New York. He jumped to Buffalo too soon. He should have taken a year off, and now that he he's out of the game for a few years, he would still create a spark with the Jets. He would win the back page. He would win the press conference. I personally would not want to see it. I would not be excited about it. 
But the bottom line is, life after Rex has been a disaster. And he's one of Woody Johnson's guys. Woody will have also been out of the NFL for a few years. So it's not like he has his eye on a ton of young coaching candidates, a ton of new coaching candidates. So he he would be more likely to go the recycled route, assuming he's the one making the decision. And if you're going to go the recycled route, then why not go with guys that you know, a guy that you like, and a guy that you had success with? And that's Rex Ryan for Woody Johnson. But that's all dependent on what happens with the election come Tuesday. And I, I would just, I would in closing say this, make sure to vote if you haven't already. Uh, don't vote based on what you want to happen with Woody Johnson and the Jets. Don't even only vote for yourself. Vote for the betterment of your country and for all people. So that's that's my PSA. Thanks for listening to the Brandon Contest Jets podcast. And as always, be good.